lesson on the topic of, of money and wealth in the book of Proverbs. And we've been here for a while. Um, and we started by talking primarily about heart-level dangers uh, with money and wealth. The problem is not money. The problem is hearts. Hearts that love it more than righteousness. This is our first week. Hearts that would be willing to choose sin over then, um, uh, in order to gain wealth rather than righteousness. Uh, the loss of, of money is a, a craving for it. It's the first danger. Second danger is trusting it more than the Lord. And, uh, and we said that you trust it not when you use it for the, uh, for the basic needs of your life. You, you're not trusting it when you um, save it or you plan with it or even you enjoy it. All those are good things that are commended by the Lord, but... We evidence we trust it when we're anxious about it, when we hoard it and are not rich towards God's purposes, when we grow casual seeking the Lord in prayer, when we sin to get it or sin to keep it, when we um, are never content with what we have. All these, these are evidences we talked about of trusting in our wealth, and it's uh, a danger. Um, those who trust in wealth are in danger of turning away from the Lord, wandering from Him. So that's another big danger in the book it gives us. Then our last lesson um, focused on the goodness and the purposes of wealth. And we said that um, it's, a, it's a good gift from the Lord. It's there to supply our basic needs. Um, wealth and money are there to be enjoyed. It's a good gift. And it's also there for the purpose of righteousness. Um, that's why God has, has given it to us. We must um, pursue it the right way, which is, which is hard work, hard, honest toil. Um, and we also said that Wealth and money ultimately comes from the Lord's blessing. Um, it comes from our work, but even at the end of the day, whatever we have, even what we labored for, ultimately comes from the Lord's blessing. And that has massive implications of what we're going to talk about um, today. Um, yes, we worked for it, but even that was from God. And there is nothing that we possess that wasn't given to us from God. And the point is, is that therefore it should be used for God in whatever way he, he commands us to. So my goal for us uh, this morning in this lesson is, is, is to zoom in on, on that point that uh, we mentioned in the previous lesson. It's to be used for righteousness. And Proverbs gives us a number of answers. So what does that mean, to be used for righteousness? Um, certainly providing for your family is included and saving and leaving an inheritance to your children and, and all of these things are included. But one thing Proverbs calls for over and over is generosity, liberality. Um, and next week we're gonna in the in the week to come, we're gonna really wrestle through this. Um, uh, what do we mean uh, by generosity? Refine this a little bit. Who are we, we responsible for, and, uh, and and what else constitutes a righteous use of money? Um, but this week I want to look at what uh, what Proverbs says about how we ought to relate to the poor and the needy. Um, that's going to be our focus this morning. Um, and the, the heart attitude, we, we saw at the very beginning, the, the whole book of Proverbs began, began in chapter 1, verse 8. That's where the lectures began. You remember what they were about? It was about money. It was about self-love versus selfless love. It was about the gang who wanted to take advantage of the innocent to advantage themselves. And, uh, and the con that, that is wickedness. The contrast is righteousness, which disadvantages itself for the 
advantage of others. And, and that's what we've been talking about over and over in this book. And, uh, and that's going to be really the heart of the issue we'll be talking about this morning. So look there in your outline. <clears throat> We're going to be just doing one Roman numeral uh, this morning. And it's our relationship to the poor, um, to the needy. And the uh, question we have to begin by asking is, who are the poor and needy? Walk, he gives a, a good um, clarification here. He says, The Proverbs that commend generosity to the poor are addressed to anyone who is able to help the destitute and save them from starvation. So when Proverbs speaks of the poor, uh, it's talking about those who lack the basic necessities for life. They don't have what they need to sustain life. And therefore, they are dependent on the generosity of others. For their survival. Um, now it's true in modern society. Uh, it's a little bit different than, than ancient society. Um, ancient society, if the poor person didn't have the, the generous neighbor or a family member care for them, they starved to death. They, they really didn't have too many other institutions to care for them. Um, in modern society, we, we do have um, many ways. Uh, we single moms, orphans, widows, those who suffer great disasters. Um, of many ways, actually, in which their needs can be uh, provided. It's a good thing. Um, I haven't walked past somebody recently who's dying of starvation, um, at least in our country. It's a, it's, it's a good thing. But all that to be said, that doesn't mean we're off the hook, um, that we don't have to be generous and we don't have to give um, to the needy. Um, I just start here because I want to get the, the main context of Proverbs. What is Proverbs talking about? And then we're going to move out from that to, to application. Um, while basic life needs may be met, there are still great needs around us. And um, part of what I want to focus on next week is answering the question, just who are we responsible for? Um, so the need, well, that's a huge category. Well, well, who? And, I mean, certainly I can't bear the weight of the whole needs of the world. I mean, we have to have some categories for this. And so after our study, I don't want anyone to walk out of here feeling unnecessary guilt and responsibility for something that we're not responsible for. But nor do I want us to walk out and not be clear what our responsibility is. Um, so we've got some issues we have to work through. But this morning, all I want to do is, is sort of lay this foundation of our relationship with the poor, how Proverbs talks about this, and make some New Testament application. And in the weeks to come, we will really be fleshing out what our responsibilities are. Who am I responsible for in my life? So, yeah. Um, I have a question. Um, I heard once before when it talks about the generosity towards the poor, mm -hmm. that that our goal is to take care of the ones that are within the church first mm -hmm. as far as need, needs go. Good. Um, then the outside. Yep. You're, 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 you're on track. Yes, that's, that's very good. Very good. And uh, especially when you get into the New Testament, you just see how the church applies some of these principles. It's very instructive and helpful. So that's very good. Yep, yeah, we'll be, we'll be really digging into that uh, next week and maybe the week after that. So thank you. That's very helpful. Um, good. Any more questions, comments on that before we move on? I just think yeah. one of the things I think of, and I guess it's <clears throat> the cynical part of me, how easy it is for, for people who, um, to, the, the whole enabling issue of where we're helping people who can't help yep. themselves. 
and I, I feel like you're probably going to hit that too at some yep. point. But yep. you know that can be a danger because there are a lot of people who are like this, waiting to be taken care of when God's not using. That's right. They're not using God's gifts. To that's right. That's right. The government and, uh, does a pretty good job of that. The what? So the government does a pretty good yeah. job of that. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of principles you could you can hammer out. But um, yeah, one of the things I don't know if we'll do it next week or the week after, but it's give some guide rails for for giving. Yeah. And, and uh, so who is you know Proverbs never commends um, encouraging the sluggard in his, in his ways, and so you have to have some guardrails here. But let, let's just get this foundation first. <clears throat> um. Begin with uh, abuses of the poor. Proverbs has a ton of these. And uh, let me just um, uh, bullet point a few of them here. Notice the first one on your outline. It is ignoring of their plight. Ignoring their plight. Look at Proverbs 28, verse 27. All of these abuses will flow from the spring of self-love rather than selfless love. See it pretty clearly. Ignoring their plight. Proverbs 28, 27. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. He hides his eyes from um, what is clearly in front of us as a need. And the best illustration we have of this is the parable of the rich man and Lazarus in, in Luke. Uh, the rich man there sumptuously every day, and there's a poor man with a clear need and a clear opportunity over and over again at his gate, and he intentionally hid his eyes. Um, whether that was he just didn't look at him, he ignored him, he made excuses for not giving to him. Uh, maybe he said, well, that guy's poor, so he must be under God's judgment. Um, some errors we've already seen in the book. Um, maybe pretended not to even notice, but... Um, Hiding one's eyes doesn't remove your guilt or accountability, Proverbs says. The need was before his face, and he chose to ignore it. So that's one of the first abuses. That's really where it begins, this ignoring of their, of their plight. And then it moves on to the second point, which is withholding their need. Why does someone hide their eyes? It's because they don't want to part with their wealth. They don't want to meet the need. Look, look just up a few verses in verse 22. Chapter 28, verse 22, it says, A stingy man hastens after wealth. That's what's motivating his uh, stinginess. He loves wealth. And he does not know that poverty will come upon him. The word here for a stingy man uh, is uh, an evil eye. Uh, It's glossed, a stingy man. The Hebrew is uh, an evil eye. Um, The eye is a reflection of the heart. The eye is evil because the heart uh, is evil. When his eye looks upon those in need, he closes his heart up against them. Um, he turns the other way. In other words, the plight of the poor person doesn't travel through his eye to affect his heart. There's something, there's something wrong with this, with this connection. Um, question why, it's because, look what it says, he hastens after wealth. He is hungry for wealth. It creates an evil eye, which makes him stingy. Um, You can see up in verse 20, it says the same thing. A faithful man abounds with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich, this is craving to be rich, will not go unpunished. Um, One hides his eye because he has an evil eye, because he has an evil heart, because he has a love for money more than love for God and love for man. Um, 
flip over to chapter 3. We were there when we did the, the lectures. Um, chapter 3, verse 27. It says something very similar. <clears throat> it says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Literally, do not withhold good from its owner, from its possessor. Do not withhold good, anything that's a genuine need. Uh, it might be money, it might be something else. It's good. Don't withhold good from its owner, from its possessor, it says. The idea is that if you have the ability to meet a genuine need, something good, and you have the opportunity, it says it is in your power then whatever that good is, it belongs to the needy person. Grace demands it from you. He is the rightful owner of it, this passage says. And um, it's true, the poor person cannot demand it from you. The poor person cannot say, you owe me that. But love demands it. Grace demands it. The Lord demands it from us. In a very, very real sense, we are stealing if we refuse to use what we have when there's a genuine need in front of us that we have the ability to meet. That's what this passage says. That person is the rightful owner of it. Um, love is not an option. It's an obligation. 1 John chapter one, uh, uh, chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, you see the same thing. Um, the, the, the person sees his, his brother in need and closes his heart up against him. Um, and uh, it says, how does the love of God abide in such a person? It does um, so the obligation lays, rests on us to lay down our lives, selfless lives, um, and selfless love with our goods for those in genuine need. It's not just an Old Testament principle. It's in 1 John. It's in James. It's all over the place. Next, um, we take advantage. Uh, we, we abuse the poor when we take advantage of their plight. Um, you can look this one up later, chapter 22, verse 22 to 23. Um, it is something that's very common in the ancient world. You would take advantage of the poor man's situation. He didn't have social weight. He, he didn't have money and, and power and position in society in order to, uh, to get justice for himself. A person could take advantage of him and can't go to the court because he can't pay the bribe to get people to give him justice. So, and, so a poor person would be easy to, to take advantage of. Um, the poor person couldn't scratch another's back, and so no one would be willing to scratch his back is basically the, the idea. So he is easy to be taken advantage of. Another one that's very big in the book of Proverbs. Then finally, um, a wrong treatment of the needy shows itself in judging their position. And uh, we can work this out in a, in a couple ways. Um, Proverbs speaks of those befriending only those who can benefit oneself. Let's look at chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14. <clears throat> Befriending only those who can benefit you. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 19. says, The evil bow down before the good, the wicked at the gates of the righteous. So righteousness will ultimately prevail. And now it's going to explain a little bit. The poor is disliked even by his neighbor. But the rich has many friends. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Do they not go astray who devise evil? 
Those who devise good meet with steadfast love and faithfulness. The wicked despises. The idea is he looks down with contempt on. He belittles um, his, his poor neighbor because the poor guy has, has no way to advantage him in any way. Uh, he, he, he profits none on the friendship. Um, he's disliked owing, owing to the fact that he's poor. He has nothing to, to give back. Um, and the second line in verse 20 really makes the heart motivation clear. The rich has many friends. Um, friendship is not based on character or person. It's based on what you can get out of it. It's selfish. It's selfish love. Um, the poor cannot benefit me in any way, but the rich can benefit me. The poor person might even be a good person and pursue the friendship, but I don't want anything to do with them. Look over at chapter 19, <clears throat> verse 4. Chapter 19, verse 4, it says, Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friends. Down in verse 6, Many seek the favor, the grace, the, the gracious disposition of a generous man, and everyone is a friend of a man who gives gifts. But all a poor man's brothers hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? These verses are not commending this. It's exposing the reality of, of sin and the selfish heart that would use relationships only for the purpose of benefiting myself. Yeah, I'll be friendly to you if I can get something out of this. And it's just the, the bent of, 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 of sinful humanity. Um, and this judging position also works itself out in partiality, which is the same problem. You can go to James. You know the passage. Um, we won't do it this morning. But the issue is self-love. I'll do good to those who can do good to me. I'll love those who will love me. Um, I'll give to those who can return the favor to me. Flip over to Luke. Hold your finger in Proverbs. Go to Luke chapter 6. Um, Jesus goes after this. And, uh, I think we're on the right page, on the, on the right track. Let me see what Jesus says here. Luke chapter 6, <clears throat> verse 32. This is the Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount, this teaching that Jesus was doing everywhere he was going. And um, Look at verse 32. It says, If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, sure, I'll let you borrow it, but only if I can get a favor in the future. If I don't think I can benefit off, off in the future, I'm not doing that. What credit is it to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind of ungrateful and evil. Be merciful as your father is merciful. The idea, reason you'll be rewarded and you'll be sons of the Most High is because you evidence you are a son. That is what God is like. And that's how his sons operate in the kingdom. Um, so before we move on, let me just unpack an implication for us. Uh, what governs my relationship with others? What leads me to do good in general? What motivates my relationships? Do I love the brethren because they are 
blood-bought sinners on equal level ground with myself? Or do I show friendliness only to those that will make me look good or benefit me in some way? Do I only do good to those that I know I will receive something back? Do I give favors to those that I know I'll be able to receive a favor back in the future? So ask yourself, when was the last time I did something good for a person that would not be able to um, return the favor to? When was the last time I did that? Um, maybe recently? Hope so. If so, praise the Lord and abound all the more. Uh, but examine your heart here, because uh, we are not immune from this. This is our bent, our heart, selfish love. What's the root problem of all these attitudes, all these abuses of the poor, and these uh, um, things we've been talking about? What makes these things so sinful? What makes them so wrong? The answer is that they're not merely sins against man, although it's true, but they're a sin against God. The treatment of the poor is a God issue. That's our next point in our outline. The treatment of the poor is, the poor is a God issue. First, mistreating those in genuine need by any of the above-mentioned ways insults the Creator. Go back to Proverbs chapter 14. Look at verse 31. This is the, the issue. It insults the Creator. It's a, it's a sin against man, yeah. The biggest problem is a sin against God. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults, derides, scoffs at, mocks at, his maker. That's literally the maker of the poor person. But he who is generous to the needy, gracious to the needy, honors his maker. He honors him. What you do with the poor is what you do with God. What you do with the needy, with those who can't benefit you in any way, is what you do to God. But why? What, what is the connection? Notice it doesn't say God here, but it says who? It says his maker. His maker. It's because God is the maker of the needy person. God made man in his own image. Rich and poor alike are made in the image of God and stand on equal footing before God. Proverbs 22.2 says, rich and poor meet together and the Lord is the maker of them all. Yet to oppress or withhold good from a needy person is to insult God himself who made that person. The image of God is reflected in that person. And a large motive for us to love others is not what they can do for us, nor is it whether they seem deserving or not, but are they made in the image of God? That is the main motivation. Look at the second line here. It says, whoever is generous to the needy honors him. The idea is that you give God weight. The word honor is the same word for glory. You give him weight. We, 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 we treat God as weighty and significant as the creator when we treat his creation as weighty and significant for no other reason than that it bears the image of God. We honor God by honoring man for no other reason that he's, than that he's made in, in the image of God. Um, look over chapter 29 really quickly. Verse 13 says something very similar. It says, the poor man and the oppressor meet together. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. When we treat others wrongly, 
for any reason, economic, ethnicity, position, influence, we ignore the fact that we are his image bearers and equally dependent on God for life. And we can take this a step further as new covenant believers in the church who are all blood-bought sinners standing on equal level at the foot of the cross. That any partiality of the church is a sin against the blood of Christ, which has made us all one. And uh, we have nothing to commend ourselves to God any more than another. We honor Christ when we love our brothers for no other reason than that they are blood-bought sinners just like us. So, And I say all of this, I am not preaching to anybody. I'm preaching to myself. Um, you guys are excellent examples to me of these very truths. And uh, these things are ones that I need from my heart. Number two, is a God issue because giving to the poor lends to the Lord. Look at chapter 19, verse 17. It says, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. The previous verse showed how you treat the poor as how you treat his maker since he's made in his image. But now this verse goes one step further. Not only does the poor man bear God's image, but God is the protector of the needy. The picture here is of the Lord who assumes on himself the debt of the poor person who was given to. So you give to the poor, they could never pay you back, but the Lord assumes that debt for them, and he guarantees repayment. Um, this verse tells us that whatever is given freely to the needy with no strings attached, is actually loaning to the Lord. This verse tells us that whatever good is given to the needy, God himself assumes the debt and obligation of the poor person and guarantees repayment. That's amazing. In other words, giving is lending. Giving is lending. A gift to the poor is a loan to the Lord. There's nothing that has ever or ever will be given by a believer for the Lord's sake to those in need that will not be repaid. Bruce Walkie said this, he says, The one who gives generously to the destitute figuratively gives a loan to the Lord, presumably because the Lord's honor is tied up with the poor, for he made them and they too are his image. Their just and gracious creator takes it on himself to assume their indebtedness, and so he will repay the lender in full. The purpose of this verse is to give us motivation to, to be generous and to give um, for the sake of righteousness. And um, we can live for ourselves and keep everything for ourselves and lend no money out to the Lord, so to speak, and we will have nothing in return. The only way um, you can have your possessions secure is by giving them away. And we're going to look at this some next week, just the irony. The harder you hold on to them, more you're going to lose them. But only those who lose them by lending to the Lord, so to speak, will get them back. Yeah, you know, the great picture is where moth and rust is mm -hmm. Yep. Yep, the miser packs it in his 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 house and it's gone. Yep, excellent. Yeah. There's, a, there's another scripture, and, and I try to find it here, but I can't, where Jesus says, um, uh, make yourselves friends with mm. your unrighteous mammon that they may receive you, but you, mm. what's the, how does that go? They may receive into their eternal dwellings. Yes, right. <laughs> so they, they, we can we can use our wealth, yep. uh, the unrighteous man, 
to make ourselves friends or the friend of God, essentially, yeah. that he will receive us <laughs> as a result of our using what he has given it's us. It's good. It's good. Excellent. Yeah. And the New Testament just over and over unpacks this principle. And I, I don't want to weeks to come to just hammer this away. But um, one more caveat sort of I want to point out before we go on from this point is that ultimately we don't possess anything. And God possesses everything. So this language of lending to the Lord, <laughs> it's, it's very gracious of, of, of God to say it. Um, actually, he's lending it to us to manage. Um, I don't have anything, and I never put God in debt to me. He never owes me a penny. Um, if we gave everything away that we have, it's all his to begin with anyhow. Um, so what's going on here? In this verse, why does it say this? Um, I think the first point is just to emphasize how much God cares for the needy. He's a protector of these people who don't have anything. But it's also here to tell us how gracious he is to faith to those who faithfully use his resources for his sake. Even though it's his, and even though we're just doing our baseline duty, he's still going to repay. It's amazing. He owes us nothing. If we use his resources as we ought, we're not doing anything more than our baseline duty. It's like the parable in Luke 17 where the servants go out in the field, they labor all day, and they come in. And Jesus said, is the master of the house going to thank the servants? Is he going to now dress himself and serve the servants? No. At the end of the day, they're going to say, we just did our duty. We're unprofitable, unworthy servants. After all we did, we're just doing our duty. We're not putting God into debt to us in any way. It's his money to be used his way for his people, for his name. So we can't demand anything from God from this verse. But the amazing thing is, is all that's true. And yet he promises us he still will repay it. And he still will serve us. And he still will grant us an abundance of reward in the kingdom. It's amazing. Um, we got a couple minutes. If your finger's still there, look, Luke, look, look back at chapter 6, where we just were. Chapter 6, Luke 6, verse 35. We read this verse, but let me read it again. You, uh, he says, Love your enemies, do good, lend, expect you nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And then later in Luke, in chapter 14, he tells us that that reward mainly is it's the resurrection. So, yeah. Good. That's good. Man, that's helpful because you can apply these truths spiritually to our relationships, not just to money. But yeah, very good. Excellent. So, um, so nothing will uh, be given that will not be rewarded and, and repaid. We don't demand it from God, and yet He's gracious, very gracious to us. Um, let me close by looking at Galatians uh, chapter six, and then I'll read a few implications at the back. Flip over to Galatians chapter 6, and uh, we will wrap this up. Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. And notice the connection that Paul gives with, with money, and also with the fruit of the Spirit that he was talking about. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. We're going to get into this a little bit more later. There's money right there, giving. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. 
For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. The one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap. If we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone especially those of the household of faith. Those who sow good works, especially with money, evidence they have a life that's controlled by the Spirit, and they can be guaranteed a reaping of eternal life in the age to come and rewards beyond measure in the kingdom. Listen to this verse from 2 Corinthians 9. Paul sums it up. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. I want to reap bountifully, don't you? This life is so short. And uh, we hold it, we lose it. So let's sow today. In the weeks to come, we're going to talk a little bit about just the paradox of generosity, some guidelines for giving, and then just different spheres of responsibility. Who am I responsible for? Before we move on, look at the back of your outline. Just one minute more and I'll let you go. Take this home and chew on some of these implications. Work out some applications um, from, from the message. In what ways recently have I sought actively to do good to those who could not repay me? How have I sought to help those from whom I did not expect to receive anything in return? Who are some people? What are some ways I can aim at doing this tomorrow in the near future? Make a few plan on? Where have I hidden my eyes from where I should have given a compassionate eye? Where have I overlooked a need that was in my ability to meet? What energizes my relationships? Is my desire for what I can receive, what governs my relationships with others, or is it impartial based on the blood of Christ? How do I motivate myself to be generous? Is it a carnal motivation, my exaltation? That God will repay me some, some way in this life? It's not true. Um, Self-promotion? Or is it to give weight to the Creator? Is it to honor those in His image? Is it to manage His resources and lay up treasures in the heavens? Is that how I motivate myself? Are there patterns or thoughts or actions in my life which reveal that I treat other image bearers with contempt? I look down on their economic status, their ethnicity, their position. Am I condemning those thoughts as insulting the Creator? Do I preach to myself that I am an unworthy servant who at the end of the day, after all my good works, deserve nothing in return, but have only done my baseline duty? Or do I commend myself to God thinking He owes me something back? It's just my duty. And then finally, memorize this, this verse. Make it up, one of your life verses. 2 Corinthians 9.6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. That's the that's what we're after. So, any questions, comments? Um, the uh, is a big issue, and it's not just in Proverbs; it's everywhere in the Bible. But man, it opens a can of worms. I just as I was working through this, I and mean, it just question after question. Well, what about this? What about this? What? So, I mean, feel free to ask me questions. Um, it's, it's hard, but it's, we can't overlook it just because it's hard to to work out practically in our lives. So, yeah. Does our church? I'm always like in the nurseries, but does our church do like a, a monthly offering for 
We do. So after the Lord's Supper, we always do a benevolent um, uh, collection. So it's a walkout offering that that our church does, and it always goes towards it goes towards those needs. So people homeless, whatever they come to church, need you know whatever it is, usually goes goes towards that um, in in different uh, different things. So yeah, it's a good question. Um, And then another example is the Salvation Army thing we do it out here. The Angel Tree. I don't know if there's any tags left, but there are. They grab one. Give to some some children, um, but those those are just uh, some some little ways. But um, we're going to really hammer this out in weeks to come. What are my responsibilities? What what are the spheres? What are some things that I must do? What are some things that I can do? We have to really um, distinguish between those. So very good. All right, let me pray, and we'll let you go. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and the clarity it gives and how it exposes our hearts and what we truly love. And I confess that I love the world. I love my life and my comfort more than I love you. And I believe um, the promises of this life more than the promises of Christ and the glory of the kingdom that's coming and the, the riches that can be laid up there. And Help us, Lord. Give us wisdom and skill to work this out. Gives balance. We don't want to go one side or the other. We want to be right in the middle of what your work commands. Help us to give liberally. We love you. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.